This is Digital Health Today, episode 56. We, we had tremendous joy thinking about everything from scratch. We thought about how patients should be receiving their prescription, but we thought about how the labs should be exchanged between the doctors and the patients. So we, it was really fun and we kind of enjoyed doing it. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. This episode is brought to you by Bear Grants for Apps and their new generator program. Bear Grants for Apps invites you to submit your innovative healthcare projects for one of their four challenge areas. Learn more and apply online at g4agenerator.com by March 23rd. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 56. If I asked you to build a new healthcare system, where would you start? Who would you hire? How would the systems work? And what would the experience be like for patients along every point in their journey? These are just some of the questions that our guest today worked to answer as he began laying the foundation of a new healthcare system, and he's doing it click by click. Aaron Bali is the CEO and co-founder of Carbon Health, a San Francisco-based company that has its sights set on being the world's largest connected care network. Now, if Aaron was just any aspiring entrepreneur entering the healthcare space, then I'd say the chances of him reaching his goal would be very small. But Aaron isn't just any entrepreneur. He's also the founder of what will soon be the largest school in the world. He founded Udemy, an online learning platform in Turkey, and then relaunched it in the U.S. a few years later. He's here to tell us about his experience and how he started from scratch in connecting patients with care in the Carbon Health healthcare network. Now, just before we jump into the interview, I wanted to let you know that I'll be out at Hims in Las Vegas along with 41,000 of my friends. There will be lots of events taking place out there, so hit me up on Twitter at HealthTechDan if you'd like to connect. I'm also going to be posting some videos while I'm out there, so do me a favor. Follow the show on Instagram. That's where I'll be posting them. Find us on there as Digital Health Today and keep an eye out for my posts. There are lots of other great conferences coming up this spring, including South by Southwest, Virtual Medicine in March with Brennan Spiegel. It's the first time that conference is being held. It's already sold out. There's also Health, which is spelled H-L-T-H. It's left off all the vowels, and it's also being held in Las Vegas. There's Wired Health in London, followed by Health 2.0 in Hims Europe and Barcelona, which are all taking place in May. And of course, Health Data Palooza in D.C. in April, which I'm also planning to attend. Get all the details on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash events. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter for special discounts. We have a big discount available for Wired Health in London and for Health 2.0 in Barcelona. So join our community and we'll keep you informed and we'll also help you save some cash. Now, the last thing, and then we'll get into the show, I promise. I just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people who have left reviews. Lauren125 gave me a five-star review on Twitter. Lauren and I connected by phone after she binge listened to the podcast on her travels from London to Birmingham in the UK. So thanks for tuning in to our guests on your journey, Lauren, and for writing a great review. There was also a review by DadFan37. Now, I've spoken to a lot of people recently. I'm not sure who DadFan is, so I can't really pin it down. But thank you also for leaving a great review and some comments on iTunes. You can leave a review too. If you need help on how to do that, there's a link at the bottom of our website. Just go directly to digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash review and you can find the instructions there. While you're there, you can also grab the show notes for this episode. Just visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 56. Now let's tune into the conversation with Aaron Bali of Carbon Health. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Dan. 
Aaron, you've been a front-end developer, a lead developer. You worked as a founding engineer for a dating website that was focused on free online dating. You uh, you spent four years as the co-founder and CEO of Udemy. I know you moved from Turkey to Silicon Valley to start that company, and I want to dive into some of the work you're doing now at Carbon Health, but I think it's important for context to talk about the success of Udemy. It's a substantial business, and I want to hear a little bit about your journey. Can you tell us how Udemy got started and some of the accomplishments you're proud of from your work there? Of course. So I think Udemy's story is really rooted in my kind of personal background. So I I was born in a southeast part of Turkey in a small village, and I grew up without have access to a quality education. But I also kind of was observing how much of the human capital in the world was being wasted because they did not have access. So I was very motivated myself, very ambitious from early days. And I one day my parents bought me a computer and I started learning pretty much everything online. Uh, and it completely changed my life. So my... The, I, the idea behind Udemy was to um, create a platform where other people who are mot- motivated, who are uh, ambitious uh, to find an avenue to change their lives. And learning is usually the first step for that. I was really an entrepreneur from, from the beginning. So what I did is I, at the last year of the college, I started my first company. Kind of lesser known fact uh, is I actually, we started Udemy way before the company was founded in the United States. In 2006, we started focusing on building a platform where anybody could teach online to an audience around the world. Uh, The company's name was not Udemy yet, but it was the same kind of idea, same technology. Uh, But it did not work. It was way too early. We were in Turkey. We were in the wrong place, wrong time. So the company kind of failed. And to be able to fund the company... Um, I started working at nights for Silicon Valley companies. So I would get paid a full-time salary as an engineer, working somewhere around like eight to nine hours every night. And then I would take that money and use it to fund our startup fund Udemy in Turkey. Uh, and we would, I would work another eight, nine hours during the day with my team at, uh, in Turkey. And that's really how we funded in the first, couple, first year or so. When did you actually move to San Francisco and and make and base the company there? So around 2008-2009 uh, time period, so we realized that the first trial for Udemy in Turkey was going to fail. So we had to shut down the company. I moved over to Silicon Valley and started working in one of the uh, the dating companies uh, that I was working at Nice for. And that dating company was an interesting experience because uh, we had built an amazing live education platform for Udemy, and we met these co-founders from uh, Stanford Business School who had just raised $2.5 million to do online speed dating. The idea was to connect people over the camera, so over, um, over like a, with live video for three minutes and get, see whether they have any spark at all. If they are sparked, if they both like each other, then they can continue to chat. Otherwise, they go to the next person. So they reached out to me because there were not a lot of people who were experienced in live videos. And we had built this amazing platform. So we converted the original Udemy live teaching platform to a live video dating platform. And that's how SpeedDate was uh, launched. It became very successful. We got more than 20 million users in three years. 
so we did really well with user acquisition growth, all those kind of things, but it was not a product that I was passionate about. So after maybe two or three years, I got up to my feet in Silicon Valley and I started inviting my kind of colleagues from the Udemy, original, original Udemy team to United States uh, to uh, kind of give Udemy idea another try. So in 2010, we relaunched the reincorporated company as a Silicon Valley company and relaunched the product as an on-demand education platform. And after that, everything has kind of worked great. So we started getting a lot of traction. We started, we raised $1 million in 2010. And after that, in four rounds, we raised um, $170 million. And at, the, at this point, Udemy has more than 20 million students, uh, somewhere around 60, 65,000 instructors, and hopefully we'll go public in a couple of years. So that's quite an ambitious plan that you had there to establish one of the world's largest schools. So at some stage, your attention moved from education to healthcare. What took your attention from that software and education venture and caused you to focus on the healthcare sector? There was a very clear moment, actually. So even before I started Udemy, I was always interested in healthcare. But what specifically triggered me was that my mom is, lives back in Turkey, and she got she went to doctor for a basic back pain, abdominal pain, and in a couple of weeks she had a full body stroke, which was completely unexplained. So I had to take time off from Udemy for three or four months. I moved back to Turkey, and my sister, uh, who's a nuclear medicine uh, uh, specialist in Turkey, so she and I started taking my mom to to several different doctors, and meanwhile. My sister did an amazing job. She extracted all all of my med- mom's medical records from different hospitals, different doctors, printed them, cataloged them. She put all the, the CT scans, MRIs, everything, lab results from like the first day to create this really good package. But it was a 1,500-page package with a lot of materials. And if you were going from doctor to doctor with all these materials, and my sister was trying to tell her story, what happened... And every doctor would do the same thing. She would, they would listen to my sister and they would look at every page, write maybe two words into their notebook. And at the end of maybe half an hour or one hour, they would look at their notebook and make a decision. But meanwhile, I was observing the process and I felt like it would be so overwhelming if I was the person who had to go through all of the, this alone. So if my sister was not a doctor, it would be a, such, a, such a hard time for me. And I started sketching what I ta- how I thought that process should have worked. So first of all, I found it really crazy that my mom's medical records were spread around tens of different clinical systems. I thought, as a patient, all of your medical records should really be organized around you. Your doctors should really just get access to them, but it should not. They should not be creating a duplicate, unaccessible copy of your medical, of your health. So that was crazy. And also, I was looking at what the doctors were doing, and I asked my sister what they are writing, and she said they are making a chronology of the of her case. And I asked her, like, why isn't the healthcare system already designed that way? Why isn't already that, like, what they how they see medical records in a daily basis? And I sh- and she started showing me the installation that they were using their, in their hospital, and it was really not designed for 
to help doctors give care. So I kind of said, you know what, somebody should redesign the whole concept of medical records, the care, everything from scratch so that your medical records are there accessible, organized in the way that makes sense to physicians so that 10 physicians should be able to look at a complex case in less than a week. So that's really that's really how I got interested in it. A couple of years later, I kind of started thinking about it and I decided to take a shot in healthcare uh, with some methodologies that had worked well for us for Udemy. And, and when was that? Was that about 2016? Uh, no, it was earlier than that. So in 2015, I, I was still at Udemy, but um, I, I think like a couple of other things happened at the same time. So people started calling Udemy world's largest school, uh, which was not accurate, I know, but it was like almost world's largest school, and in a couple of years, we'll definitely become the largest because nobody aggregated like more than 60,000 teachers in the same place. Um, and similarly, people were calling Airbnb world's largest uh, hotel network because they were getting doing more bookings than any other any other hotel. So, and I was also in a lucky position to observe how networks, uh, networks coupled with technology were, was able to disrupt some of these markets which most people considered uh, impossible to disrupt. Education was one of the, definitely one of those, those industries where there was almost no change for a very long time. But using technology to connect the teachers and um, teachers and students more directly and kind of removing the middlemen really improved the quality of education, the, the, the access in education. So I said these networks could maybe be the solution to the healthcare problems we were seeing. And I started thinking about what would it look like if we wanted to create world's largest hospital. So, and my theory was that it would not be a company like Kaiser with 10 times more buildings. Instead, it would be a technology platform which connects patients and physicians as directly as possible. And that platform would actually have hundreds of millions of patients and maybe millions of doctors where the care is aggregated and made it very accessible to, to everybody. Where did you actually start? Because that's a huge challenge you've taken on, especially as you've described it, trying to build the world's largest hospital. Where do you actually start when you're doing that? And uh, tell me a little bit about those early days in terms of the technical and the financial resource that you applied to get this started. Sure. So I started bringing together a core team um, of me uh, and essentially three of my, three of my co-founders right now. So one of them was uh, our designer at Udemy. He was amazing. Uh, and I met this very talented engineer at Twitter and I met an um, internal uh, medicine physician uh, from UCSF who was also very tech savvy. Uh, his name is Greg. And we, we were not planning to start a company per se, but we started coming together and started sketching uh, different experiments, like how the medical records should look and feel, how could multiple physicians can uh, could collaborate on giving care to a patient. So we started really kind of abstract sketching different ideas without the intention to start a company. Um, and in 2000, in the beginning of 2016, I think what the product became more obvious to us. So we really wanted to design the healthcare experience that we want for ourselves and our children. 
So, but when we first came to the realization, it also we also didn't see like any way to do this because it is not like we could build design something from scratch and get uh, UCSF to adopt it or any other hospitals to adopt it. So we said, like, let's start really small, right? Let's think, let's forget about the inefficiency of current healthcare system and take a fresh look at at what how healthcare experience could work if we controlled everything. And to be able to do this, we decided to open a small primary care clinic in San Francisco and designed the healthcare experience end-to-end from scratch. While doing this, my rule was that we were not going to look at any single EHR, any single other healthcare products. We would just think about, dream about how healthcare could function. It was a lot of designing, a lot of back and forth, sketching, idea generation. And then we came up with something. Uh, I think we had like maybe 200 uh, sketches. So we, it was clear, pretty obvious that we wanted healthcare to be very mobile. We want to use our smartphones to be able to handle 100% of our healthcare interaction all the way to, from signing, onboarding, getting our treatment plans, communicating with our physicians, following up with our doctor, following up with uh, our treatment, getting our prescriptions, seeing our medical records. So we want everything really accessible to, from our phone. And it was actually super obvious to us that this is also how most people will want to access healthcare in the future. And we also wanted to make sure our medical records are kind of aggregated so they're not sc- uh, scattered around different places. And lastly, we knew that we wanted a hybrid of telemedicine, clinical visits, even house calls, and we want to really push the boundaries of how care is given. So we, we did not want to limit ourselves to the traditional ways um, healthcare was given. So we kind of designed there this model, the blueprint, and we actually implemented in less than a year. So we started in January 2016, and by January 2000, uh, sorry, by September 2016, we had a clinic up and running using 100% our own software, all the way from how patients find us, schedule their appointments, pay their bills, get their care, and we also built. And as a controversial idea, we also built the whole care platform on the physician side from scratch as well. So we built our own medical record system, payments, billing, integrations with lab pharmacies. So in less than a year, we were able to launch a, a kind of miniature version of the healthcare system that we want to create, but we already started seeing patients. So clearly you've, you're committed to it at this point. I mean, you've gone beyond just the sort of ideation phase of, of when you were sketching things out. You're actually now really invested, right? I mean, you're building a clinic, you're building software. Is that all self-funded or were you already out there talking to investors about this new plan that you had? Uh, no, we are definitely not self-funded. So we raised $6.5 million as a seed round. I had a bunch of investors who said, whatever you are doing next, we want to invest on it. Uh, it was mostly uh, kind of faith in like the team. Now we, we had brought together an amazing team, so people uh, put money into that very early, and that's how we kind of started funding it. Um, but as we were doing it, it was kind of funny because we said, "Okay, this is what we are going to do," and most of my investors said, "Like, why are you doing this? Like, can't you just pick some specific idea, some one inefficiency?" 
and build a software around that. And we know you can build good software. We know we, you can sell it. We know you can market that. Why don't you just do that? Like because what we were doing was sounded really crazy. And even when we started showing them the prototypes, they said, this is amazing, but it also looks too good to be true. So, but I think for me, like if it was any other entrepreneur, I would definitely suggest them to go to the rational route, which is find an inefficiency, build software around that, and grow that business. But maybe like partially because of the success of Udemy, I had the luxury to work on ideas that we really kind of like to work on. So, and building a healthcare system from scratch was really fun. I'll tell you that it's not, it was not even just about business prospects. We, we had tremendous joy thinking about everything from scratch. We thought about how patients we should be receiving their prescription, right? We thought about how the labs should be exchanged between the doctors and the patients. So we, it was really fun and we kind of enjoyed doing it. And my belief about these extremely successful companies is that you cannot really plan them. You really work on the ideas, like the products that you want to work, even if nobody was paying you. And those ideas end up becoming the Googles, Facebooks, like IBMs, like Microsofts or the Apples of the world. Not the ideas where you see a clear market, you say, this is how much people are spending, we can get this market share, and this is how much margin we can do. That's not really, I think, the way to uh, build like amazing companies. We'll get right back to the interview, but I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our partnership with Bayer and their Grants for Apps program. After five years of success with the G4A Accelerator program and the DealMaker program that was just introduced in 2017, Bayer has introduced another new program to help foster partnerships between Bayer and early stage companies. Similar to the DealMaker program, the new Generator program is designed to establish commercial relationships with companies developing solutions that focus on their four challenge areas. This program is about making self-care accessible and achievable, and they're looking to tackle the challenges of managing self-care, external pain management, improving skin and sun protection, and nutrition support. The prize for this program is perhaps one of the most valuable of all, a commercial relationship with a global corporate customer. Applications open the week of January 8, 2018, but don't delay. The deadline to apply is March 23, 2018. Get full details on their website at g4agenerator.com. That's G, the number four, agenerator.com. Now let's jump back to the conversation. Wow, I love the fact that you didn't look at anything else that was out there when you were building this. You just started absolutely with a blank sheet. You didn't benchmark. You didn't look at the existing systems and see, you know, what's wrong with that? What would you rather do? You just said, what's the right thing to do from scratch? And and part of that involved actually building the primary care clinic. So 2016, you've built this. You've gone from January to September 2016. You've actually got the clinic set up and you're actually running your own software 2017, you announced that you'd raised $6.5 million. You took some of that money earlier to, to get some of this stuff funded uh, through 2016. Where do you stand now? What's, what are some of the successes that you can point to as you look back on uh, 2017 and earlier? Sure. So what we did was we, we, we perfected the patient experience. And then our, our clinic in San Francisco in less than a year became the number one result on Yelp. So we get exclusively five-star Yelp ratings. We get somewhere around 9.4 reviews uh, ratings from patients. And we started getting really proud of the care that we were giving. 
So the next thing was, okay, we put the patient experience in our own clinic, but then we also needed uh, millions of doctors to adapt this to create the system, the network we wanted to create. So we started expanding this to other clinics. And our goal was not to sell this as, as much as possible. It was finding really visionary doctors who adopted and who developed this with us. So we expanded this to an urgent care clinic and it became very successful in their clinic. So we they launched it to in four locations with more than 70,000 patients and they we launched it overnight and so huge success that their revenues increased significantly uh, more than uh, more than 25% actually. And their ratings on Yelp were like extremely strong after we launched and everybody really appreciated uh, this the technology focused approach to giving care. And, and most importantly, their, their, their providers, their clinicians, like started having more time to interact with their patients and they like, the care was getting better, they were feeling better, the burnout, the physician burnout was lower. So it was a, a very successful launch. And since then, then we uh, started building two different um, uh, models to expand this. The first one is we are now partnering with hospitals and we are launching um, launching primary care and urgent clinics on behalf of them. So they make the investments, but we facilitate the care process. So we, we are doing hospital partnerships to kind of build this new, more innovative care model into their uh, new clinics. And the other option, uh, other market is we are also uh, opening our platform to more specialists and more like other care groups so that they can be all part of this this model. So, and the reason like people adapt this is because our care platform is a lot more efficient, a lot more a lot nicer. It's really the care platform that most physicians immediately recognizes the the way they want to give care, and patients love it. But unlike the other care platforms, it's not a software that people are using somewhere. It's a network that they are joining. They're actually becoming a part of a kind of new clinical network, uh, which is kind of more decentralized, owned by independent practices and some hospitals. How are you actually making money? What's the business model behind this? The business model is very simple. We don't charge anything extra to the patient. They pay their routine copays, um, and if there's a patient responsibility, they pay that. Uh, we, but we facilitate the whole payment infrastructure, and we take a percentage of that. So we've got a very active and engaged professional community in the healthcare sector listening to this podcast now. What should people know about your platform in terms of how they can participate with it, either as a provider or as a patient? Sure. So as a patient, unfortunately, the only way they can access is if they if they have a provider uh, in their area. So if they're in Bay Area, they should check out our urgent care clinics, our primary care clinics, on, or any other specialists. For providers, it's really two different groups. So if you have an independent practice, you should definitely take a look at Carbon and you can join our platform. When you join our platform, you'll be part of, you'll have two uh, immediate like values. One of them is you'll see that our care platform is designed by people who give care. And you realize this is really the, the way you always want to kind of provide care. I think this is really the simplest way you can imagine. It's one of the most effective ones. Uh, and the second thing is, as you join Carbon, unlike the other just software packages that you can install, you become a part of a network. So if you're a cardiolo if you're a cardiologist, and some of 
our primary care patients need a cardiologist. They will actually see your clinic. And similarly, your clinic's patients might go to the allergist on, in the network if they need an allergist. And, and those allergist patients might come back to us. So by aggregating different specialties in one group, we're actually providing a kind of patient flow kind of across our practices. So I'm on your website, carbonhealth.com. Uh, there's a button up in the top right corner for join as a provider. And I see you've got uh, an opportunity to schedule a demo and also watch a video about how the, the product works. So I encourage people to go on there and look at this. I also understand that you have a booth at the HIMSS conference that's being held in Las Vegas in March. So can you tell us what you're going to have there? Sure. So we have a very specific booth to show how we provide smart, uh, hassle-free healthcare. And if you, if anybody's interested in seeing kind of our model, our care model, uh, I would love to kind of have them in our booth. Uh, we will also be in urgent care conference and internal medicine conference if people are coming to that as well. Excellent. Well, I'm sure they can find links to that on the website. I will have the links to the HIMSS event on the Digital Health Today website and encourage people to find you. Tens of thousands of people come to that, so I encourage everyone who's listening to make sure they come by and find the Carbon Health booth at HIMSS in Vegas. Aaron, I have six questions I'd like to ask every guest. I'm going to jump right into them. What is a saying, quote, or phrase that motivates you? So... I mean, this is not a quote from like a famous person, but I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. fan. Um, and I, in a way, I'm really kind of obsessed with the, the quote, the quotes there. So I like how they talk about how uh, your your pride as a leader, it has potential to hurt the people who are who you are responsible for. So um, there's this quote where they say, um, like he was he was brilliant, he was valiant, and he still he still fell. So um, and how many, there's a part where they say how many people had to die for his pride. So I think this is this applies very strongly with startups. Like sometimes our ego as a founder or our pride goes, uh, feels more important to us than the kind of benefit of the company. I think we have to really get, we have to become really, get really humble. Otherwise, we'll just really hit a wall. What advice do you have for others working to innovate in healthcare? I think everybody talks about how hard healthcare is. Actually, I think it's not really that accurate. Healthcare is different. There's a lot of, there are, there are high barriers to do a lot of different services, but it's not any harder than any other market. I think like people are getting unnecessarily anxious to get into healthcare. What book do you recommend to our listeners? So I'm a huge fan of Sapiens. Um, it's already very popular, so people might have heard it from other places, but I think it's a, it really changes your perspective and you look at even the smallest things you see around. What's a piece of tech that you recommend? Interesting. I don't, I, I don't use as much tech as most people in, uh, most people in Silicon Valley, but I'm a huge fan of my Apple TV. I, I think the, the big screen computers uh, are not dying. It's actually it's the opposite. They are going to grow even more. So Apple TV is my favorite product, product these days. If I gave you a check for $5 million for you to invest in health technology today, how would you invest it? So I'm specifically looking into companies which take a more vertically integrated approach in healthcare. So I'm looking for companies who pick a particular condition that's like sleep apnea, diabetes, it could be infertility. And I'm looking for companies who are who, who couple services, medical services, technology, software, and even hardware to really to kind of give better care at a very specific 
uh, to a spe very specific medical condition. The last thing is, we make a contribution to a charity in appreciation of your time on the show. What charity have you selected? And can you tell us a little bit about what they do? Sure. So I and my wife are huge fans of Charity Water. Uh, they provide clean water. They provide, they, they construct wells in areas where um, access to clean water is really hard. And I actually know that this is one of the, like, this is one of the biggest problems we have to solve because, like, not being able to access clean water completely, um, prevents any other way that those countries could uh, could improve their economy. That is an excellent charity. I know it well. When my 10-year-old was turning eight, she raised money. She gave up birthday presents for that year and asked people to make a donation of $8 or eight pounds to that charity and one other. Uh, and she chose Charity Water and an education charity because she said that you couldn't be educated if you didn't have water to survive. And I know that has a big impact, not just on communities, but also specifically on women and girls who are often tasked in some of these developing countries with getting water, water that makes them sick, water that's exposed to a lot of pollutants and, and takes hours literally to, to collect in very dangerous terrain. So that's a great charity and happy to support that. And we'll include a link to Charity Water on the website if people can't find it so they can make donations if they're so inclined. Uh, Aaron, how can people keep in touch and follow your work? Sure. Um, I mean, Twitter is one way, but um, if they want to be, part of, be a part of our network, they can go to carbonhealth.com, click join as a provider and kind of get in touch with us. Um, and also uh, they can reach out to me from Aaron, E-R-E-N, at carbonhealth.com. It's E-R-E-N, not E-R-I-N. So a lot of people like to do a typo. Uh, but E-R-E-N at carbonhealth.com. And I'm, I'm kind of happy to talk to anybody who is interested in innovating in healthcare. There you have it. That was Aaron Bali of Carbon Health. Check out the links in the show notes for this episode at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 56. And be sure to stop by and see Carbon Health at their booth at Hims. You can find them at booth number 8700. We've got more great guests coming up in future episodes. Don't miss a single one. Just hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And of course, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. If you need some instructions on how to do that, visit digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash review and see exactly how to do it from your smartphone. Don't forget to check out our partner Bayer and their new Grants for Apps Generator program. Applications are open until March 23rd, 2018. Find the link on our website or go straight to g4agenerator.com. Follow me on Twitter at HealthTechDan and follow the show at DHealthToday. And of course, don't forget to check out the videos I'll be posting from HIMS on Instagram. Follow us there by searching for Digital Health Today. That's all for me for now. Speak with you soon in episode 57. And until next time, keep on innovating. <laughs>